I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... I was in shock at not only is it a real industry, but the passion that the people in this industry have about this plant is unparalleled. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. Hey, it's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, along with producer Tracy Madigan. We are really excited today because we have as our guest, Allison Siegel. She is the CEO of Culta, the uh, largest, I think, or certainly one of the largest dispensaries of medicinal and recreational marijuana legally in the state of Maryland. Don't pretend you didn't know. But listen, it's amazing the growth of this industry. Oh, and guess what? It's still cash only because you can't have a federal or national bank be the processor of the cash. So they say they're the last cash business. But what Kulta is going through is a fascinating example of the transition of a dark underground cash only business that was illegal to a cash only business that is above ground legal and is being taxed by the regulators, shockingly very highly taxed by the regulators. So get out your bong and get ready to listen to Allison Siegel talk about the future of legal marijuana. Here's our show. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so wow, uh, big days. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, it looks like I'm significantly older than you, but there was a day, a glimmer in all of our eyes, clearly in you and your colleagues' eyes, that someday uh, legal consumption of marijuana and marijuana-based products or CBDs or whatever you want to label them would be uh, legal for uh, arenas, perhaps medicinal and even for recreational use. So that those days have arrived. But just to start to show off, and again, feel free to start from square one, what has been the arc of the legalization of marijuana and marijuana-based products in the state of Maryland? So I'm glad you added in the state of Maryland, because as you probably know, it's very different. And this arc has looked very different in different states in the United States. So uh, medical cannabis in the state of Maryland was legalized, um, went through a lot of different regulations, but around 2015, um, and people started the process at that point of gaining licenses. Um, we are what is considered a limited license state. So the state of Maryland only gives out a limited number of licenses um, to help control the supply and demand side of things, um, as well as to help that in, to ensure the regulators can regulate it. So um, in about 2017, um, us as well as a few other growers um, had our facilities built and were able to provide cannabis products to medical patients. So that um, I was not around then. I wasn't honestly really thinking about cannabis or really following at all what was happening. Um, but that arc, um, I think for those that were in the industry felt very slow because um, you had to not only get a facility up and running, but you had to notify everyone in the state of Maryland that they could be eligible for medical marijuana. So whether it's a person that is eligible because they have anxiety or they're going through cancer treatments or any myriad of reasons, you also have to educate doctors and medical providers and say, this is something that is legal and can really help people. Um, and then we had to grow it and provide it and then build up that patient base. So between 2017 and this year, Maryland grew to um, 165,000 patients in the state. 
So sounds like a lot of people, except for that when you are one of 95 dispensaries selling that product, that means that that's your whole customer base. Right. Well, that was my my next question: is how yep. many how many dispensaries were licensed? And you said ninety five. So there were, I, I believe it's one hundred and one were licensed. Ninety five. The last I checked, ninety five were operational. Um, there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't be operational. It's very hard to run a dispensary. I think people think this is a cash cow, and we can talk about cash later if you'd like, because cash yeah. is definitely involved. But yeah, um, it's very hard, and the, there's a whole tax conversation we could have around this, around how, um, in my opinion, we are unfairly taxed, but we are taxed as a schedule one drug. Um, and so therefore we pay a very, very high effective tax rate. Um, and it, therefore it's very hard to make money in cannabis and in the dispensary side. So let's go back to the number of dispensaries because I I used to live in a state that had what they call ABC, alcohol beverage control, so that there were only a certain number of alcohol, it's only a certain number of liquor stores and the state control them effectively. Many, it seems like they're, the reasons were the same reasons you just named for why Maryland wanted to control the number of dispensaries. Is that model similar? It is very similar. So I used to work at Total Wine and More, and so I'm very used to the alcohol um, regulatory side of things. And I think, you know, you can really draw a lot of parallels between prohibition, um, you know, and coming out of prohibition in the alcohol industry and coming out of prohibition, which we're doing right now, of yeah. the marijuana industry. Yeah. And so, um, in, in cannabis, in, I think that what, what's happening is because it's state run, each state is doing a better job than the state prior to them in, um, putting in different regulations. So, you know, the state of Maryland saw that in other states, such as California and Colorado and other places where they had tons of licenses, that it was very, very hard for people, not only to make money, but more so for the regulators to really follow what was happening. So in the state government, you need to have a system in place to make sure that you are that your licensees are providing really safe products. And that takes a lot of regulation. And so well, the more good dispensaries to hear, you have, the harder it is. It's always good to hear that there's a learning curve among states. And it sounds like Maryland is, you know, on that curve up and learning from it. The other thing I, I think you implied that by having a controlled set of pathways for consumers uh, and patients to interact with, the state could make sure it could collect its taxes. And I know you touched on that earlier. So uh, not to get into your business too much, I, I, this is probably public record, but what kind of tax levels are we talking about for a dollar spent in a dispensary? So um, I guess the best way to think about it is um, the effective tax rate ends up being between 50 and 70%. Wow. And the reason why is not because your tax rate is higher. It's because when you are scheduled one drug at the federal level, you pay something called 280E, you follow a tax code called 280E. And that tax code says you cannot deduct anything from your taxes that is not cost of goods sold. Wow. So, so my salary, not tax deductible. You know, the carpeting, rent, nothing. Not yeah. Right. So, so if you imagine there are dispensaries out there that will make less money than what they owe in taxes. And so that is um, crazy. So from my yeah. perspective, so the state of Maryland and a few other states have changed um, this concept for the state taxes. So last year, Maryland state put something in, in um put something in for our state taxes that says we do not have to follow the 280E tax code at the state level. Wow. So 
And obviously, most of the taxes we're paying are at the federal level. And so while it does help and make sense because they legalized it in the state, so why would they treat us as an illegal business? Um, at the federal level, we still are paying those very high tax rates. And that is a huge burden on the cannabis industry and a huge reason why cannabis companies all over the country are going out of business left and right. Wow. This is incredible. We're talking with Allison Siegel. She is the CEO of Culta, one of the licensed cannabis providers in the state of Maryland here on What's Working in Washington. Allison, this is amazing. I, I am so glad we're getting some time together because probably like nine out of 10 people that you interact with, they're like, oh, you're making a mint. You just set up shop. Everybody's buying. You know, they finally turned that 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 illegal cash river into a little brook and a babbling stream for you to get your profits on. But it sounds like far from it. So what have you learned, or I guess I should say, what's been most surprising up and down on the positive and negative side since you took over as COO and now CEO a few years ago? Um, I think there's there's quite a few things. I'm not sure I could point to just one thing, but- Make one a list. The, we, we got time. Um, okay. So, so one, you know, the most exciting thing for me was when I walked in the door, I actually started as a consultant here. Oh. Culta because I didn't understand the cannabis industry and I wasn't really comfortable coming into something that I didn't even understand if it was honestly a real industry. And when I came, even on my first tour, I was in shock at not only is it a real industry, but the passion that the people in this industry have about this plant is unparalleled. I mean, I worked in the wine industry. There are plenty of passionate people yes. in wine. Right. And and that was amazing in itself. But there is nothing that holds a candle to this, the passion for the cannabis plant and and the medicinal qualities that it has that are so misunderstood, um, have not been researched enough because legally uh, colleges and other places, research facilities can't research it. And so um, the passion, I think, about, around something that have helped so many people is what is was really surprising to me. You know, I grew up at a time where there was definitely passion, but it was mostly around the rebellion part yeah. of cannabis. And that is not at all what this is. And so walking in, that's probably the thing I was most surprised about was people come to work every day. Yes, everyone wants a paycheck. But yeah. the people that come to work at Culta, they are passionate about what we're doing and what a different feeling that is, right? When you walk. Wow, that is, so uh, you went to University of Michigan and I, we won't talk dates, but I'll have a funny feeling that somebody at University of Michigan smoked dope during your time there. And and uh, and I'm not a follower. I, 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 I have ceased any consumption of illegal substances for some time, just for the record, those listeners. But I am told that the, the kinds of cannabis that are now available legally are stupendously more powerful than what we all saw in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Is that a fair assessment? That is a very fair assessment. And if you will allow me, I'd like to talk a little bit about that because Please. there is a very, um, I have a great concern about the fact that it is much more potent now. And that is something that is important to a lot of people, whether they admit it or not, that is what sells. That is what people are looking for. But what what gets created out of that is now that we know we can grow things that are much more potent, the street drugs and the drugs that are coming, um, you know, that people are not buying through the regulated market aren't naturally that strong. 
whether it's because they don't know how to grow it well or they don't have the right genetics. And so because of that, and because people are trying to keep up with the potency level that we have figured out how to get up, they're spraying or putting fentanyl Ooh. in these products. Oh. And this is, and when people are saying, why is there fentanyl in cannabis? People understand maybe it would be in cocaine or something else that it would add weight. They're doing it because they're trying to get the potency up to the level that people can buy through the regulated market. And it is so dangerous and it is so worrisome to me because I have teenagers and I'm concerned about what they are going to potentially consume. And this is something that, this is one of the reasons why I felt so strongly about legalization of cannabis in Maryland is because the more regulated product we can get through our dispensaries, the safer the product is that's out there. So that is very frightening. I had not heard that, 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 uh, although I'm not surprised that a private market would attempt to mimic what, uh, what the, what the, what the commercial side can do. This is incredible, Allison. It's Allison Siegel is our guest today on What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, along with our producer, Tracy Madigan. Allen is the C Allison is the CEO of Colta, uh, a legal medicinal and recreational cannabis supplier in the state of Maryland. When we come back, Allison and I are going to talk about how everything you buy from them is grown in the great state of Maryland. And I'll even tell you why and where. All that and more after this. We want to put out a huge thank you to our listeners who put us in touch with some of the best voices in Washington, D.C. and the region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how businesses in the region are keeping us competitive. We talk to the brains in the nonprofit world, restaurant domain, and next-gen tech. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. Keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. It is What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, along with producers Tracy Madigan, producer singular, Tracy Madigan, the one and only Tracy Madigan. Culta is one of Maryland's, I'll say largest, what the hell, uh, medicinal and recreational provider of legal cannabis. So we could have three hours together, if not more, talking about this. But we did talk about um, a bunch of things about the the sort of the growth and the, the, the roadway, effectively, to the legalized consumption of marijuana. But I know one of the early issues, and perhaps still an issue, is the economics of it. So if I come in with a credit card, uh, could you have taken my Visa MasterCard in the past? Did some banks deny you that? What what was the what were some of the sturm and drang and and back and forth on getting payment structures for your business? So we could never and we still cannot take Visa or MasterCard. We cannot right. take any credit cards um, because the credit cards run on the federal network. 
Um, and this is a federally illegal, still federally illegal substance. And so we are, I believe, the last cash business that exists. Um, and we are trying to fight very hard to get what is called safe banking, which would allow the banks to bank with us, not just for um, the credit card side of things, but also for loans and other things that we really need to be able to run our business, but specifically around credit cards. Um, the safety of our dispensaries is really, and our dispensary workers is really what's at risk here. And so we um, have ATMs inside of our dispensaries and people can get cash out um, and there are some ways that sometimes you can do like ACH payments and some some pretty um, involved technologies, right, that allow people to do it. But it, it's um, definitely a point of friction for the customer or the patient to be able to use that. Um, so mostly it's a cash, all cash business, um, which obviously makes us very ripe for um, crime. And, yeah. um, you know, we recently did have an event in one of our dispensaries. Luckily, we were closed and luckily they didn't. They did a ton of damage, but didn't get to anything um, that they could actually steal. Um, but obviously this is um, something that's near and dear to my heart because of my employee safety. So, so we choose to have pretty strict rules and security around that to protect our employees. So what about Venmo or, or platforms like that? No? No, the Venmo, we can't use any platform that runs nationally, I'll right? Or anything that, that would run through a bank. Wow. So, yes, I certainly, I mean, you know, it's the old um, back in the day in taxis, they would say, you know, the driver has no more than $50 with him. So you, you wouldn't be tempted or some, I, I wasn't, but some wouldn't be tempted to uh, to try and grab the wad of cash. And I'm sure at the end of the day, your folks get a little, a uh, little, little jumpy as they shut down, knowing they've gathered all that cash together. So if I may ask, what are some, what are typical price points that a customer would, uh, would engage in when they come in your store or does it vary widely? It varies pretty widely depending on what type of product. The most, um, you know, the highest percentage of products are what we call flower, which some people may not understand is the actual flower of the plant, which is the thing that you smoke. Um, bud, so, the bud we used to call it. Bud, yep, same thing, that's it. Um, and so that is about 70% of our, our sales are flower. Um, and flower can range from, you usually buy it in an eighth, let's say. So an eighth of it would either be anywhere from $20 to $60 retail. Um, I think the most uh, typical price points around $35 to $45. Um, and normally people buy anywhere between two and four items per transaction. So you can do the math there. And you must sell, I assume, legally sell a lot of the uh, paraphernalia, be they little pipes or rolling papers, et cetera. Those are legal, I assume, for credit card purchases or not? Well, they are legal for credit card purchases, but if you think about how a register works, like I'm yep. not really sure how. So, so some dispensaries do uh, strip out that business and maybe run that out of a separate store or a separate, you know, front of house. Um, we don't choose to do that just because there's not enough business to make the customer have to purchase twice. Yeah, um, we do have to charge taxes on that, even if it's the medical patient. So we do have to, you know, medical patients do not pay tax, don't pay Maryland state tax on their products, but the new recreational um, or adult use pay, uh, customers do have to pay cat, uh, tax. Um, that tax rate's 9%, same as alcohol. And it's one of the lowest in the countries. So, wow. um, which is great because that that's the whole goal of the, and I think Maryland has done an amazing job of getting these regulations in place and getting them in, in um, 
so fast and did a great job of it. I don't agree with all of them, of course, but I think that they have done the best of any state I've seen so far. And they kept that tax rate low so that more people were getting off of the black market and into the legal market. We'll make sure our new governor hears your compliments for the great state of Maryland to make sure you're in its good stead. We're talking once again with Allison Siegel here on What's Working in Washington. I'm Mark Walsh, your host, along with producer Tracy Madigan. Allison is the CEO of Culta, one of the providers of legal, medicinal, and recreational marijuana in the state. So you talked about the passion of your employees earlier. Very, very compelling word to use. How do you find them? I mean, did people just come sort of pouring into your application form on your website? Or how did you find your initial team? Is there much churn? Are people begging to get in? Are you going to expand if you can with larger employee bases and other stuff? Where's that going? So I'm very fortunate that when I came in, gosh, it's been two and a half, almost three years ago now, um, we had a really solid team that was built from, um, you know, the prior CEO, who's also one of the co-owners um, of Colta, and he brought in people from other states that had already done this. Um, ah. Our head grower is from Colorado, um, and he's fabulous. I like to call him my biggest rock star, and he is. Um, a rock star in the industry and a rock star for us. Um, and we also had um, our head of sales is also um, spent, uh, is from Colorado, has spent time in a few different places, but worked in the cannabis industry there as well. Um, since that time, um, and I'm sure I'm missing somebody that's super important that I'm not mentioning, so sorry. Um, but the the um, since that time, we have developed a really strong leadership team and really have not had to turn many, if any, of those, which is fabulous. And then um, in terms of entry-level positions, so we keep thinking that we have hired everyone in Cambridge, Maryland that lives in Cambridge, Maryland, that we've already been through all of the people, and we haven't. We just ran a job fair, um, and we had 57 people show up, and we hired 11, 11 of them on the spot. And so we have people come in through job fairs, through applications, um, through word of mouth, um, we won employer of choice last year for in the cannabis industry. And so I think, you know, luckily we are um, have a great culture and are a great place to work. So um, it hasn't been um, as hard as I expected it to be. And we do a ton of promoting from within. And so this isn't an industry that people, you know, went to school for most of the time or grew up knowing. And so we like to train from within and and promote that way as well. Well, I'll, I'll toss a softball to you because this is a fascinating conversation. We only have a little bit of time left, but your background at Total Wine and Next Day Blinds, I would argue, are two of the most customer service oriented and customer uh, high expectation customer service and customer delight or, or oriented organizations in Maryland. So I'm sure that was a runway for your for your uh, leadership now. I, I mean, I, I have to say that um, Colta already had that before I got here. And it was just easier for me to walk into it and not challenge it because I'd seen it done successfully, right? Yeah. At Total Line and Next Day Lines. And so um, being able to, to continue that um, customer first and quality first, which is, is really what um, Colta stands for, then, you know, it was a perfect fit for me. So one last big question is the legal side of all this. Obviously you are complying with all of the Maryland state regulations and laws that restrict or contain you. What's your expectation or your colleagues or your outside counsel, if you've engaged one, for either other states or a national platform for this industry? 
It's going to be a long and hard road, honestly, because we are um, a schedule one drug. Cannabis is a schedule one drug and there's tons of debate. I mean, Biden has, um, I guess, mandated a um, research and a report on how we can have a path to legalization. It's not easy. It's not like, just make it legal. That's not something that can just happen. And so I'm not sure what the path looks like. I know that we have to either deschedule it or reschedule it to a much higher level, but um, how that happens and when it happens, I, I don't have a crystal ball on that one. Well, I think you and I would both agree that the crystal ball, if it has money in it, tends to be a lot more crystal pretty quickly. And Many argue, I don't want to put you in the spot, but many argue that as this industry becomes a clear revenue generator for uh, budget-constrained states, of which all 50 com complain they are, this will be a natural path, maybe for, if not federal, more and more states will flip out, flip into it, which put, will put pressure on at, at, at the federal level. Except for that, the federal government makes the most money on cannabis right now, because with the tax structure- du Duly noted. Um, too duly noted. Less money with how it's currently structured. I hate when that happens. All right, Allison Siegel, CEO of Culta. It's been great to have you. We ask all of our guests here on What's Working in Washington as a final question. If you ruled the world for some period of time, what would you start happening that isn't or stop happening that is? What are your answers? So if this can be a, I have, I'm all powerful in this. All powerful. I not only rule it, but I rule it with any power. I would, um, change the mindset of anyone that does not feel like human beings are just exactly that human beings and they are not a color or a religion or from a country or an ethnicity they're just human beings that you treat the same way no matter anything about their background and i really think that is a world that i want to live in and I struggle every day that that is not the world that I live in. And so I really believe if I could change that one thing, so many other things would be so much easier that um, that I, I think that's the only thing I'd want to change. Wow, that is a, uh, a beautiful and quite heavy, in a good way, quite heavy answer, Allison. And I'm glad that we... Um said yes to your suggestion, could it be magic and, and broader? Because as you know, some people answer very mundane things, but that was a wonderful sentiment. And I join you in wishing for that. Allison Siegel, CEO of Culta, medical and, and, and recreational marijuana uh, platform of choice here in the state of Maryland. We really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We want to put out a huge thank you to our listeners who put us in touch with some of the best voices in Washington, D.C. and the region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how businesses in the region are keeping us competitive. We talk to the brains in the non-profit world, restaurant domain, and next-gen tech. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. Keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, 
Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.